Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Inside Envy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Bloomer. Thank you for listening, and thank you for the commentary. Keep it coming. We love to hear what you guys think about the show. You can drop us a line at podcast at envy.com or leave us comments for any suggestions, feedback, any special guests you would like us to interview, or if you have anything that you would like to learn about Envy, tell us. We're listening, and we will fulfill your wishes. Are you looking to buy a new bike this year? The trade-up program from Envy offers you the chance to trade in those crappy OE wheels that manufacturers try to save money on. Well, guess what? You can save money on a set of Envy's. By trading in those carbon and aluminum wheels against a set of beautiful Envy carbon wheels made in the USA to give your bike and yourself that well-deserved upgrade. Go to your local authorized Envy store or visit Envy.com to find out more information and be riding the wheels you deserve. My guest today is Henrik Orr, otherwise known as the Velo Chef. He's written a few books, three of them to be exact. My favorite is the Outside is Free one that's about camping, how to properly prepare yourself for when you're traveling out into the wilds and still want to have that culinary deliciousness. It even comes with a nice waterproof cover and spork. What other book gives you a spork? He's a two-star Michelin chef, culinary world champion, and was the chef for Team Sky, while none other than Chris Froome won the Tour de France. How about that? He's an amazing cook, a great friend of mine. I always like talking to him about bikes, food, all kinds of other things. He actually comes from a cycling family. His father and brother are both competitive cyclists, so he knows a thing or two about the sport, and he knows a thing or two about food. Man, I'm just getting hungry talking about it, but let's get into this podcast with Henrik. I always like talking to him, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. So, Henrik Orr. Yeah, I mean, the weather's been nice. It's, you know, it's a balance act between having the kids at home and trying to manage work and everything. The upside is that we've been getting a lot of riding in, so. Yeah. How about you? Well, same here. I mean, it's having the kids home for six weeks wasn't really easy. That was pretty tough um, for them and for us, but it seems like the cycling industry has done well, though. It has. If we look at the shop here, I mean, it's been quite, quite, crazy days yeah you, all of a sudden, you guys have been pretty busy we've been super busy because all of a sudden people had time to ride their bikes and and they wanted new stuff and they couldn't go anywhere and all like mallorca training camps everything was canceled so people had to do it at home and i think that um gave us a boost at least which mm-hmm. was positive but then but then my business really is dead restaurants all that is struggling big time at the moment because people right. are still people are still quite um, restricted to go out and eat because it's still this keep distancing social distancing and 
that uh, is still up. So it will probably take a bit of time before that recovers again. But hopefully, when the when the autumn comes, will be better. What is how how has Norway fared through all this? Have you guys had a lot of cases, or I don't even you never hear any reporting on you know Sweden makes the news because they've taken this unorthodox means of yeah. tackling the coronavirus yeah. but yeah. Norway you don't really hear much about no but we uh, we they did quite a quick like lockdown but not not as lockdown as Spain or Italy where you were restricted to not go out we could as as long as we did things by ourselves basically or by kept it in the family we could easily go outside we could ride we could do anything uh, as long mm-hmm. as we we didn't do it with uh, with other people um and we haven't had a, uh of course we have had the virus but we only have like not even 300 people have lost their lives in it so uh i think we may have managed it quite well um and we have a really strong um our economics up here are quite good so we uh, we have we have good social care good health uh insurances and 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 our government that's really supportive and uh, uh so it's it's been it's been okay actually mm-hmm. do you do you talk to your friends back in sweden what are how yeah, are they faring it's been i mean it's so difficult because uh, it's so different because I've, i mean I've, I've talked to them through through all this and um especially the restaurant business have taken a much more bigger beat over there because um they haven't uh forced them to close down like they did here in in oslo they forced the, the industry to close down bars everything but but there they haven't done anything and but they have um encouraged people to stay at home <laughs> so they are still open thought, and still I, running i thought that sweden was like we're just gonna go for the herd immunity tactic at and try to reach the 80 percent so why would they yeah, tell people to stay home definitely. then? Definitely. If and you have like um, try to. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it's uh, it's placed where the main cycling lane coming into right. Oslo from one. If they're sick, they well. If you feel symptoms, the the advice is to stay home. So people, I mean. Obviously, people got scared mm-hmm. side of the street. Uh, no, from one side of the town, it's called the Tour de Finance. All the all the finance people are so all right. all the uh, all the restaurants, everything were still open, but people weren't coming and uh, and and were riding that lane into town. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, yeah, that's the that's the other part. Is like Sweden's part of the EU, whereas Norway's not. Tourists so. are not coming. So I think no. uh, Sweden takes on a well, much more beating. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how lane. everybody comes yeah. out of this so, for sure. There's thousands of cyclists passing there every day, and that's literally outside the window. And and Sweden's uh, Sweden doesn't have the same financial as Norway has with the we all. Mm-hmm. I don't know that our oil money. So we we just taking of 
overall. Right. Sweden needs to, I think, the moment, but that's right on. Uh, so, do you have any projects on the horizon, um, or you just they're trying waiting. more and more to close down the city center? Um, taking more loans from the EU. So there's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And open it more uh, and restrict it for trucks. So like uh, restaurants and all. No. No. All right. Yeah. All that are only they're going to get uh, deliveries like super early morning or midnight. Yeah, it's it's for sure it's different times. I mean, and daytime they're taking a, a wet off uh, parking spaces and turn them into cycling so like lanes. It would instead. be a, so they're really really. It would working. be a location As in I'm, Oslo. I'm, I mean, then, I've been freelancing for so many years, and it's always been okay. Ne next couple of weeks going to be a little bit quiet, but I know that in super super hard to to get the city center as uh, free of cars as possible i think they have like a zero after that it's going to be a super busy period or something now nothing absolutely nothing in the books mm -hmm. the car vision within so a little bit broader appeal or something like that which is a bit scary but i'm i'm, I'm pretty confident that we'll be up and running again after summer but but yeah, yeah, different. Mm. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably for sure. <laughs> yes, I'm actually talking to. No, I'm actually able to 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 okay. paint over some bad uh, <laughs> reputation. No, it's, it's, it's no. Exactly. Uh, Do you happen to know how to, many uh, people in Oslo by, called by percentage group. commute by They're bike? Pretty big in all, all over Europe. Running. I mean, we, we can't hide that uh, that we become filthy rich with with oil, and that's we're still pumping up oil. So, um, okay. They're mainly businesses running canteens all over all over Europe in in big big buildings. If we're going to survive, we need to take out every drop of oil there is in the ocean to to keep to keep our uh, high society links. So they're quite, it's, um, mm -hmm. but there's one guy there in the, the, the head of the life going. <laughs> yeah, the CEO of Norway, he's super into cycling and he heard that. That's, that's pretty cool that a here wasn't country with that the, with the is known to have, yeah, have oil that. money is has such an initiative to free itself of the automobile la fabrica space and then he basically contacted me and said if i was interested in <laughs> doing anything with them instead carbon they offsetting have mm, yep right but nothing signed yet so we're working on a on a solution there uh, which could be super. Don't you guys have um, like hydrothermic yeah. power and all that stuff too? Isn't there like, like, or is it? It would be a location in Oslo, but because uh, I, I, I just kind of remember that you guys like had a surplus of, of energy when I was up there for the Rafa Prestige. Um, 
Somebody was telling me because I, I noticed there was a large number of Teslas more, in electric cars uh, much more, in Norway, much and they were saying that so a, Norway for a, for is a, the number the, one yeah, we're the biggest per uh, import land for uh, Tesla outside of you know, Teslas or actually might world, even been the number one uh, for a food and and cafe business is actually much better than where the service course is located. And like it was because they offered the government offered these incentives to people that had electric cars, like you could use the taxi and bus lanes, you could park yep. for free in town. Yep. Um, there was all these incentives to drive an electric car. And they're taking off the on electric cars. There's no VAT, so they removed Perfect. all the all the VAT. So they're basically they're twenty five percent cheaper than any other car. So are the there? Yeah. Are there conversion shops up there then that like you could take your your older car in and get it converted or no that's not really uh, that haven't there probably people who does it but but that's not very common I think people just buy a new one no. that just changed it <laughs> convenient we got the money <laughs> now the Teslas uh, actually um, uh, it, it became a little bit provocative because outside of Oslo is like uh, like the the south side of Oslo is like uh, a place where heavy finance people are living. So they all started when, when the Tesla came, when they had that uh, Model S, is it? When it became a little bit nicer. So everyone yeah. bought, bought like that car just to, to drive to uh, drive to town. So you would have like this uh, in the morning, every morning, this Tesla trains just coming constantly <laughs> in the bus lane <laughs> and just basically giving the finger, fuck finger to everyone. We're standing in a normal <laughs> queue and everyone is like, yeah, we have the Tesla. Just whoa, straight into town. <laughs> so I think that that is coming down. That um, I think they're going to remove that sooner now that uh, they can drive in the bus lane because it became a problem because all of a sudden the bus lane was full. So the, the bus was held up by Teslas, basically. <laughs> so it's pretty shit. The, um... So when was when was the Rafa Prestige? I'm trying to remember how, how many 15, years ago was that? 2015. Jesus Christ! So the memory popped up on my uh, Instagram. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Because that was that that was just five years ago. Back when was it? May 14th. May right? 16. It was the day before our uh, Independence Day. The, right. I, I remember it was right the day before that. Yeah. So, and. Um, Talking about the buses, I remember how cold that event was, and we climbed to the top of the Holman Coal. Yeah. And when we got to the top of the Holman Coal, I couldn't use my hands, and oh, I think it either. was Jonas's mom that opened my Coke for me. Yeah. I couldn't even <laughs> couldn't even open the Coke. No. And and then we had to go. We still had to go finish down in the town. And on the way down, I got behind one of those city buses. Mm. I was going to ask you if those were electric, but now I remember they're not because. Yeah. I was, I was behind one. <laughs> well, it, it warmed me up. I yeah. mean, that that motor was, you know, mm -hmm. that's what saved me and got Indeed. me back into town. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> no, they're still around. But they, they're getting uh, turning more and more into electric buses as well. But there's still yeah. still quite a few of them left. No, I, I just yeah. see pictures of that one and still I'm just freezing when I'm just seeing it. <sighs> just reminds me of the cold. The the the. The part that's kind of funny about that was the day before we did that ride, it was beautiful. A beautiful was warm a, weather. Warm. 20 degrees, short yeah. sleeve, short shorts and, everywhere. Yeah. But that's kind of typical for Oslo, I guess. 
Yeah, it's been the whole May has been super cold, super cold. It's like we had a we had a decent April when it was a bit more uh, warmer than normal, but then May mm-hmm. May just been shit, you know. But now it's <laughs> now it's turning again, so it's gonna be a bit warm. So I mean, we're still selling winter clothes clothing at the shop. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. People need new long sleeve, new new ba- new heavy base layers and everything. It's, it's May has been so cold. Mm. but yeah yeah we're getting better now nice yeah good stuff so you're are you originally from oslo or oh i'm from tunspad which is 100k south of oslo okay but i've been living in oslo for in total i lived there like six years before i moved to sweden Mm -hmm. and then sweden for 12 ish years and then now back again and um it was Team Norway that you guys did the cooking, the Chef World Championships. Yeah, the like Norwegian Cycling Federation. That was my my starting career into the cycling industry again, um, and then well, I, I sort of grown up in the sport because of my father and brother was uh, competitive cyclists himself, both Norwegian champions actually. Oh really? Yeah, um, and then. Um, in 2011, uh, I quit my job in Sweden and didn't really have a plan of what I wanted to do. So the the head coach of uh, the Norwegian Federation, which was a friend of my dad, um, he just phoned me up and asked if I knew someone who was interested in going with them to the worlds and do some cooking. Mm-hmm. So I just said, well, I think I'm, I'm, I could be the right person for that. So... Uh, <laughs> I did that for the 2011, uh, before the 2011 Worlds, the pre-camp, and did the pros during the during the the race, um, which was super great. And just I just found uh, something I really enjoyed being in that environment again, and mm-hmm. then uh, cooking, because that that was actually the first time the Norwegian Federation could afford to bring a chef. Uh, mm-hmm. because Turhuso became world champion the year before, which really gave them a sponsor boost. And, and cycling in Norway just exploded after that. So it was a great team that year with, uh, with well, a small team because they only had like four spaces, but it was Turhuso, Edvald, and uh, Kurt and Gaba. So it's a small, mm-hmm. nice little group. Um, yeah, it was a super great experience. So I continued doing that uh, a couple of years, and then Sky uh, turned up. And was that uh, when Edvald went to Sky? And yeah, Edvald went to Sky from from the be- very first beginning. So the 2010 okay. season, he started in Sky. So they were on my radar, and then when they won the 2012 with uh, Wiggins, that was. Uh, that was my, uh, I started to really look at what they're doing. So my initial plan was to go and just hang out with them and see if I could learn something from them, which I, again, could bring back to to the Norwegian Federation job. But so Eddie helped me in, uh, <laughs> sent an email. So he helped me in and, and, and um, so I talked to one of the guys and asked if I could come down for the training camp just to, just to have a look and see what they were doing. But as their um, 
demand for more hands were increasing, I got the possibility that first year to do some work for them. They basically said, our chef is too busy. We need one more. Uh, you're interesting. And I said, yeah, hook me up. So I started off with like, I think first season was like 40, 50 days. And the next season was 90. And then the third, uh, the last three seasons was like full on 150, 60 days per year. Wow. A yeah. lot of time on the road. Yeah, it was a lot of travel. I mean, a lot of uh, time away from the family in quite a short uh, period, basically from, you do most of it from from March till end of August, beginning of September. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hectic, but I mean, it, it becomes a lifestyle and uh, just super, super fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And um, the you, you would always go to their service course at the beginning of the season? And yeah, get well, everything set up for the for the season. Well, more more or less every race would start at the service course. Um, so you would always uh, fly down to Belgium to Brussels and take the train into Dainze, where Sky had uh, Sky now Ineos have their uh, service course, and then you pick up from there uh, your vehicles. You fill up the truck, the kitchen truck, and like there's a lot of supplies and and things we bring from there. And then you drive, you drive to the to the race. And you're mm-hmm. usually there at least uh, one or two days before in every race. And then um, you would do the race. Normally, we, mo- most races is like a stage race, seven stages a week long. And then same again, you drive home, leave the vehicles or clean the vehicles, leave them at the service course, fly home, and then depending on how long you get to stay at home mm-hmm. couldn't be just a, often could be just a turnaround home home for a day or two back again same thing so it's it's very hectic but it's it it all everything becomes like a routine and it's, uh, it's really enjoyable to be a part of a, like a like a very veld oil machinery that just keeps on going right yeah so you were at sky when they developed their own kitchen truck yeah they were kind of the first they were the first team to really do that well uh there were a a lot of uh a few other teams that um had had like a sort of kitchen truck but uh the riders wouldn't eat in the same facility um so um a lot of a, a few other teams had like a big van or or like a smaller truck which they could cook in but they still had to take everything into the hotel and serve the riders in a hotel. Um, so it wasn't on the same thing that we wanted to do. But because um, the thing is that the first two seasons, I used the hotel as a base. So I would like ask the permission from the hotel. Can I borrow your kitchen? Can you like send an email before I came? Could you please order this extra products for me? Um, a lot of times it worked fine but also you know like especially chefs in france take very pride in what they do (laughs) so it was like hi i'm this chef from team sky could i borrow your kitchen for a couple of days and they could be like no (laughs) (laughs) so that happened you know uh which left our riders uh a bit by themselves which at the end like the team was just like no this we can't let this happen anymore so Mm. So we found this uh, 
well, we knew about this truck because we it was actually from um, uh, from the team that uh, that old team that Andy Schleck and his brother fo- formed in 2011, which was only for a couple of seasons. Leopard, Trek Leopard, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they bought this massive truck, but apparently the story is that, uh, and they only used it one one race that was Tour de France because it was delayed, of course, by coming in. And that team folded after that season. So the story was that um, they couldn't pay for it, uh, <laughs> of course. So um, the guys who had built all the interior and the kitchen and everything after a lot of uh, lot of paper discussions, they've got that truck back. And they tried to sell it, so they hadn't hadn't uh, been successful of getting rid of it. So we actually got it off them for a super super good price. And this was twenty fifteen season. Mm-hmm. So we got it up to us, uh, refurnished it a little bit, painted it in sky colors, and was ready for that season to go. And for our team, it was a huge success straight away. Just because we had the opportunity to, uh, I could cook in the same place every day. Mm-hmm. I could uh, I could uh, stack my products. I could prepare my work much much better. Uh, I could do my own shopping every day, uh, and the guys would have the same place and same environment to eat in uh, for all their meals, and they could be uh, also for the free of diseases. You know, if you're in a hotel uh, dining room sitting together with with random people that maybe have a cold or whatever we could control the area much better so and it and it quite quickly became like a meeting place for everyone in the team everyone could slick in and have a coffee sit down we had a big television there you could watch the race the last few uh, last few case on uh, on on today's stage and, and keep updated on what's happening basically so it was such a positive thing for the whole team uh, when we got it, so mm-hmm. uh, they still have it, but I think also they ordered a new one now to have have mm-hmm. one more. So that was really a, a game changer for us at that time, and and it was just super great experience to be a part of establishing that. That must have been a lot of hustling for you, though. I mean, on tra- particularly on, I mean, it's not so bad when you guys are located in one spot. No, like if you're, I think the year that I saw the truck was sixteen when you guys. We're in Po for yep. a few days. Yep. Days like I mean, when you when you have a few stages around one city like that, I, yep. I imagine it's much more relaxed. Oh yeah. yeah. Where if you have to jump like on a transition day because you got to serve them breakfast and then yep. pack it all up and then yep. be ready for yep. them when they get done with the stage. Yeah. Well, that that happened more or less. I mean, you only in a grand tour, you only get you get two stops where you stay for more than one day. So in a grand mm-hmm. tour, you usually do. I think you do 15 or 16 transfers so that's quite a lot uh, and, and a normal day was exactly how you describe it you would go down in the morning uh, the riders would go down have their breakfast and as soon as like last person left you would pack it up usually it would take us around one hour from started packing cleaning and 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 get everything ready for transport to secure all the load and and stuff and then it could be everything from 30 minutes to four hours of driving to next hotel. Mm-hmm. So, but I, of course I had a driver and I drove, drove a separate car 
Um, but it's a lot of logistics. It takes, and then uh, coming to a new hotel, park it up, uh, elevate it so it's stand, standing uh, in line, and then um, open it up again, put a dining table out, all chairs out. So it's, it's a lot of logistics, but uh, right. it was great. We were two people doing this, so it was great to have like an assistant to help me that so I could focus um, on, on the, on the cooking basically. Yeah. And how does, how does that work with the cooking? Is that a prescribed meal plan that you guys have for the writers? Is it something that the writers request? Is it the dietitian? Is it you who, how do you guys formulate that? Well, um, it was very, uh, we were very free in terms of exactly what it could be. Um, but there were uh, quite strict guidelines on what it should uh, contain. So that's why we every day did um, did a proper buffet for the riders instead of doing like a, a plated meal. So we would always do um, two to three protein uh, choices, always fish, uh, sometimes red meat, and a lot of chicken, of course. Uh, but how I cooked them and how I served them was totally up to me. And then um, we did a lot of carbs every day, actually. So we at least would have four, uh, maybe up to five uh, varieties of carbs uh, being there. And then a lot of vegetables, of course, just in all sorts of different cooking methods. Um, so just make sure that they have a really nice and huge selection of, of everything uh, and just to make sure that they eat a lot, so you don't you don't serve them only overcooked pasta with a piece of dried chicken, you know, because that that doesn't turn them <laughs> off. No, no. So this is, I mean, it's really it's important. You you eat with your eyes, and I I made a lot of effort into to making it look nice and taste good mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you also prepared some food for on the bike. Yeah, I was. Uh, I helped them helped out with the carries doing the the rice cakes, mm -hmm. which we prepared every day. A lot of them. I would help them prepare them and cook them, and they, then the swaniors would um, wrap them and make them ready for for wherever they needed to be. But that was also we made a lot of rice bars um, like a normal day uh, stage in the tour. Uh, I think we prepared uh, like 150 bars every day. Oh man! Yeah, so we did a lot of that, but that was for like, like for for an insurance thing, really. We we made sure that they were everywhere, so that they were all the time available for them. They would start mm -hmm. out with a few on the on their pocket, but then there would be a lot in in their in the feed zones in their musettes. And they would be available in the car if they needed to come down and pick up. So, we really wasn't any choice that we would run out of them. So, uh, right. we we overproduced, but that was very. There was a purpose behind that. And uh, you were the secret supplier to Edvald even after he left Sky. Yeah, sure. We always would stick a <laughs> stick a few rice cakes on him wherever we had a chance of, to meet him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look after Eddie. Got to look after Eddie. Yeah, we have. So where, where, what is the origin of the rice bar? Who came up with that? I think it's the, the original. It, I think it was created for Edvald. 
like uh, in the early days in Sky, like Nigel, okay. Nigel Mitchell, the old uh, head nutrition at Sky at the moment, because Edvald had a lot of problems with his stomach. And then um, they found out that rice worked quite well for him. So they dropped all uh, no like uh, normal oat bars and anything like that, because that would just give him a stomach problem. So they created this, like, uh, uh, took this rice and cooked them and flavored them with something and just made them uh, and put them in the fridge overnight and tried out different mm -hmm. things. And they seemed to, to go very well with him. And then the, the upside of them is that they taste very good. They're, they're awesome. They're, and they are very easy to eat, even if you're, if you're a high pulse and everything. They, it's not like an oat bar, which you have to chew and chew and chew and chew. It's just right. They go straight down. So they, everyone else wanted them as well. So that that's was the, and they also they have a really good nutrition value. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a, it was a easy thing to start with, and and um, and uh, it's been very popular. And just Sky use still still use them all the time. Well, I, I see them around. I yeah, mean, they're they've everywhere. Kind of become, become iconic. Yeah. I mean, even bike shops or whatever. Yeah. I was, um, two weeks ago, I went and rode in Kempton some mountain bikes with the guys from Raw Bikes. And yep. in the middle of the ride, we stopped and one of the guys pulled out a plastic bag and he had rice bars in it. Super. And I was like, I was like, where'd you get these things at? And he was like, oh yeah, I make them myself, you know? And yeah. I was laughing because I didn't tell him the, the backstory about it, but yep. I was just, I thought of you straight away. I was like, yeah. oh, the rice bars, I mean, made it to mountain biking. Super. No one's more happier <laughs> than me. No, that's it's it's it has. To, I think that that's my. I think the version that I've always heard and and uh, and because and Eddie Eddie still goes with them. Uh, mm -hmm. The only thing he does he eats that and gels and his con uh, his uh, strange fish drinks. So yeah, his fish oil and water is yeah. that isn't that what it's yeah he has, lemon juice? yeah he has like a powder some fish uh, fish powder he puts in water and. And has some um, acidity in, and uh, yeah, it it works for him, but it, uh, it tastes not very good. Imagine having a salmon drink in like thirty degrees, like a oh, like sounds a, lovely. Yeah, I, I mean, I've tried fish oil, just using you know as a supplement, and it's disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. So I, I can't imagine having a bottle that's. On a warm, semi warm, oh. on a like a thirty degree stage, and you're having a <laughs> having a little fish drink. No, it's special, yeah. but it works for him apparently, because he he has yeah. problems with normal sport nutrition. So he has found he has really found that some good uh, sub, supplements that's that great. works for him. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so um, through all these experiences as being uh, the chef. For cyclists, you've done some books, the, yep. the VeloChef line. Exactly. Um, yeah, that came – I never had any plans to do any books, actually. Um, that came a little bit uh, as an offer uh, from a guy called Patrick, which you also met. Um, he's a photographer that lives in uh, – based in Stockholm in Sweden. So – I was doing this uh, interview for a Swedish online magazine at that time. This was in 2014, maybe, uh, around that time. 
And Patrick was hired as the photographer to, to take those pictures to go with that online story. Mm-hmm. Um, and after we had the, done the shot, uh, we sat down for coffee and just talked around, basically. And, uh, mm-hmm. and Patrick asked a lot, a lot of questions, of course, what I did and, and how, I, how I did things and how, how it was in the sports and everything. And then um, basically out of the I remember very well where I was, actually. I was in the Tour of California in the 2014 when, when Wigo won that year. I was over there and doing a job. And then this telephone just all of a sudden ticked in from a number in Sweden. And, and it was Patrick who called. This was like a month after we'd done the shot. And he said, I really believe that we can uh, do a book together um, if you're interesting. And uh, his wife happened to be a publisher. So he more or less had the whole package ready. And he said, <laughs> uh, said if, if I was interested, we could uh, basically see what, uh, what the possibility. So I said, that sounds super interesting. And we met up again straight when I got back from California. And then... Uh, we had like a an hour meeting and basically just right there and then we just drew down the the what we what we would like to do that book to 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 be and just started working straight away to be honest uh, we did like a photo session just a few days after that and then continued to do photo session between my race program uh, for the rest of that year and then, then do all the writings and all that in between. So it was really, really yeah. hectic. But um, we were ready to launch it around May 2015, around that time when we did that prestige. So I think we yeah. launched it just a few weeks after that, if I can't, if I'm not remember it wrong. So it quite quickly, um, we didn't have any hopes, to be honest, that it would do. We were super, super happy if that would sell it first print, then we would break even. That was our main goal. So the first print we did in both English, uh, Swedish, and Norwegian. So we did three languages at the same time. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, Rafa was sponsoring Team Sky with their clothing sponsor. So I talked uh, in January that season, Simon Mottram came down to the Mallorca training camp to to ride with the guys for a for a day on on like a vip stuff or like a sponsor day so i just showed him uh some pictures of what we had done and talked a little bit to simon and asked could you guys be interested in selling this in your online shop because it had a few of the guys who was in there was jonas and Lars and a few of my friends we were all wearing rafa stuff uh, a bit randomly during the book so could this appeal to you? And I would be, it would be great if you guys could have this book online. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it looks fine and it looks super cool. And he put me in contact to, uh, with one of his guys. And then they said yes immediately. And as soon as we shipped some, a few books over there, the, the wheels started rolling on that one. Mm-hmm. And it just continued and continued and continued. And there's still this day demand for that first book and then now it's totally sold out so it's that was very very special and super how many cool. prints did you guys end up doing i think that first book uh is printed in almost like twenty thousand copies 
Wow. Yeah. So it's done quite well. Yeah, it's done quite well. Done, and you've done two books since then. You've, yeah. You did the one with European yeah. cooking yeah. and then the, the camping. Yeah, the camping one. So uh, it became, since, the, since that first book did so well, uh, of course, we made a little bit of money on it, but we said we, instead of just taking out a, a cut ourselves, uh, let's do a, a new project that, like, do even more do a bigger book, do more content, do see what we can do. So I had this really idea that came out from, uh, from my, uh, all my traveling really with Sky. Um, we, we went to all these great places, but there were never time to stop there. You know, uh, they were just like coming in, stay for like less than 24 hours in and out again. And I always thought like, wow, we have to have to go back here and do some riding and, and meet with the locals and, and have time to sit down for a beer or a glass of wine or whatever. So that was basically the idea uh, to find, um, like we, we, we nailed it, narrow it down to four like main places we wanted to visit and, and tell a story and meet a local person that hadn't necessarily need to, to be like a inhabited there, but, lives there and, and, and is a part of the of the scene so we ended up doing uh, nice down in france and we went to mallorca because that's one of my my favorite place to ride and then girona uh what was up and coming at that time this is like four or five years ago so it, it was a bit different than the yeah. girona vibe is now and then we did uh, the like uh, northern italy lombardia district um, just went there for for a, a few days and, and stayed on each location, mm-hmm. cooking, riding, just taking in the experience and, and write about all that and, and into a book, basically, uh, which was a great project to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some great recipes in there. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's very, med- there's a lot of Mediterranean vibes in all that cooking done there. Uh, I, I tried to use a lot of the flavors, the local ingredients, some local recipes. So there's, it has a super, super um, uh, good touch to it. And, and we try to include, we, we have a, there's a few illustrated maps over the area. There is, uh, there's uh, some tip on how, what to, how to pack your bike, what coffee setup shall you bring, you know, all this, mm-hmm. the importance. <laughs> the ins and outs of getting around. Of course, that's sure. important. And then after yep. that, uh, that came out, also got good re- reviews and good received. Um, we talked about doing another project. I mean, I wasn't really sure that we were going to do it. And I said, if, if we're going to do it this time, we, it needs to be total different from, from, uh, from what we've done. First two books were all about road cycling and that scene or our us roadie types, as you call us. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we need to, the gravel scene was coming to, to Scandinavia. Yep. So I really, if we want to do it, we need to do it uh, on, a, on a total different uh, level. So we would uh, pick up a bunch of gravel bikes, go to this dramatic scenery in Norway. And Where'd you guys go? We went to like mid of Norway, a little conduct place called Eresfjord. 
there's no really big cities around. Um, mm-hmm. But I knew about this place because I have some. I have a friend who lives there. And I just knew that whatever we're gonna do there is gonna look awesome. Mm-hmm. And then we put together a group of, of of guys and photographers and 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 a guy who also did some video content for us this time. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing was that we were gonna be cooking outside, no matter what, making on uh, food on like open fire and. Uh, and small outdoor stoves. That was the whole. That was the whole thing about the book. Uh, that it had to make make those uh, turns. So we w- went up there for a week and just spent time writing every day. Uh, just one of the great greatest weeks ever, to be honest. Still, mm-hmm. that crew and and those guys who just had an experience of a lifetime. So that was great. nice, and then that re- resulted in the book uh, called "Outside Is Free," uh, which is still around. And we wanted to do a. The two first books are quite big. It's quite like a more like a coffee table book, but this had to be right more practical. It had to be able to bring it out. Uh, it comes with a like a waterproof cover. It comes mm-hmm. with a little spork, so there's a, like a little package <laughs> on here. So. It really, yeah. it's really meant to bring, to be brought outside. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my daughter stole my spork and won't give it back to oh, me. Oh, really? <laughs> really? But yeah, no, that, uh, all the books have great recipes. Yeah. Um, and I'm, but I, I really like the camping one. Yeah. Even if, even if you're not camping, just because I like that style yeah, of, of food, food and of, uh, of cooking and, and such. Yeah. There's a so lot of simpleness in that book. Uh, which re- which you really need to do when you when you're gonna go outside. So, um, yeah, I like how you talk about how to you know. I I know people ask you all the time. Well, how do I transport stuff out there, or how yeah. do I, you know, prepare for this? And you lay it out very well in the book. You know, of how to prepare this stuff yeah. to take it out into the field, yeah. so you're not field prepping everything. No, no, no. I mean, if you're going to, just for example, if you're going to make waffles, you don't bring your eggs, uh, flour, <laughs> and all that outside. That's like, I mean, that's impossible. So, so a, a lot of, to be able to be successful cooking outside, preparation is more than 50%, mm-hmm. I would say. So mm-hmm. it's about finding those smart things that makes everything easier when you're on site. Yeah. So if you prepare that, uh, prepare that at home, those that waffle mix, and then you put it in a bidon, and then you have it on your bike. Yeah, then it's just super easy. You just squeeze it out of a bottle, and there you go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. so it's just about preparation, and also if you bring other stuffs like onions, and you know, if you want to make like a soup or anything, like chop everything in small pieces and put it in one little plastic bags before you. That I mean, that, right. that uh requires less space and everything you don't need to save the time too exactly so so everything it's it's quite logic once you once you start doing it and and think about it mm-hmm. i would say yeah. yeah i need to get that you have you have a like sort of a kitchen roll with the knives and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Need. i need i still need to get that yeah. i've that's one of i'm one of cuz you know i got that t3 van synchro van so i want to get that thing stocked up with that sort of equipment so when we go out and 
hit the field, we're ready to go. I think I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, with the explosion of uh, bikepacking and the gravel scene, the way it's growing, is there plans to do any further projects? Maybe not a cookbook, but maybe some experiences or anything? Yeah, we're doing together uh, in Norway uh, with the service course. We're doing some stuff together with, I'm doing some stuff together with them. Uh, we're going to do these micro adventures. Uh, the plan was to do it in a much bigger scale. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, the, all the Corona uh, virus and restriction and people that doesn't travel, um, we had to, to rethink a little bit. And we're going to do this, what we call micro adventures, yeah. where we basically, because Oslo is, uh, or, or the whole Norway has a fantastic thing, which is called the uh, uh, Norwegian Tourist Association. Uh, and they have cabins all over Norway. Uh, small, big, whatever. Uh, but we have, I think it's in total of 450 cabins all over Norway. And it's like wow. um, it's like a little um, association. You buy a mem- uh, membership, and you get from that membership you get a one you get a key, and with that key you can more or less open all of the cabins all over Norway. Because it's a, really? yeah, it's based on it's a, it's a very trust uh, and reliable. Uh, based system and on these different cabins there's uh, there's food available and and everything so uh, most of them are uh, are are quite simple they give you a bed there's some food there you can cook uh, some some simple stuff but then quite a few of them now are getting are the bigger ones have like they're open all year with staff on it and you get a proper cooked meal Mm -hmm. so here in oslo uh it's the same we have uh from the from this if you ride 20 minutes from oslo city center you enter an area which has 550 kilometers of gravel roads and in that area there's a lot of cabins so what we're looking at doing here uh, together with uh, the service course is uh, put together a little group and we rent one of these cabins and we take people there uh, for uh, for an overnight experience. I cook the dinners, I make the breakfast for them in the morning and then I ride back to the city. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's a sounds, super... Sounds like a great experience. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's what we can do these days uh, uh, and people can get out and we can have a good time together and, and, and just get still get some proper good riding because... Uh, it's quite uh, riding here in Oslo Forest is very much up and down, so it's quite hard. Um, so we're planning on leaving like a Friday, Friday afternoon, and then ride a few hours into a cabin. And when they arrive, I will be ready with dinner and drinks and everything. And then we stay over the night and then ri- ride a longer loop again home the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the sort of uh, local activities we can do for the guys here now and. Everyone's super excited about it. So I think. When are you going to start doing those? We have the first one in mid mid June, and I think we're going to have one every month going further. Okay. Yeah. How many How many people can sign up for those? Uh, we have a limited of uh, twelve because of the size of the cabin, and it's mm-hmm. um, it's due to to COVID restrictions as well. We can't be too mm-hmm. many on these cabins and everything. So, 
we have set a set a to start with a restriction of 12 and if the if the the government instructions come and we can increase the number maybe we can increase with a few few more Nice. Yeah, so it's going to be... And so they can find, people can find out information on, on those over the Service, the course, service website. course website. Yeah, definitely. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, that's going to be super fun. So I'm looking forward to that, really. To, nice. to do some local activity. It's always good. Sweet. Yeah. And um, just, we kind of didn't talk about at the beginning, but you started off in the food industry mm. as a chef. Yeah. Um, working at a Michelin yeah. uh, restaurant, yeah. is that correct? You guys had one or two stars? I two forgot. stars. Two star yeah. Michelin restaurant. Yeah. And that was in Stockholm. Yeah. So basically my my background before I went to do anything with cycling is from restaurants. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trained chef. I went to school. I mean, cooking has been everything I, I know, basically. Uh, I, I haven't been a carpenter or bricklayer in my old life i've always been cooking <laughs> so after chef school i started working here in oslo on good restaurants uh, i also did a few years with something that's called a norwegian culinary team uh, and you, you, you can actually uh, do some competition and stuff with that one so we won mm -hmm. i won the culinary world cup with them which is uh, in luxembourg every every second year, I think, which is like a world championships, unofficial world championships for chef teams. So we won that mm -hmm. uh, together. And then after that, I moved to Stockholm, Sweden to start working on this new opened restaurant, uh, which I knew the old chef. And um, so that opened in 2007. And we went from opening that place to get two Michelin stars within two years. So it was like 18 months or something. I think it took us to, to reach that. So that was quite an experience. And that was like on the absolutely highest level for, for I was head chef there for four years. Uh, so very, very different from, from what I do now. But um, I think it's so important to have those years with me. Uh, just, mm -hmm. just, you just learned a lot from it. And then you, you just take with you so much experience and how to to treat both people and how to work with different products and how to see seasons and i mean you just get the whole level of perspective so differently um, and and to have that background i feel very very lucky to have it and it just gives the options of what i'm doing now uh, a lot more depth and understanding i think what what is more difficult uh, working in a restaurant or working for a cycling team Oh, restaurant, definitely, definitely. Because you have uh, paying customers that come every day and pay like 150, 200 euro for a meal. Uh, they come with experience, no, uh, sorry, expectations. Mm -hmm. um, a cyclist is just hungry, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. And if, you, and if you manage to do something good for them, they're always very thankful. But yeah. at a restaurant, you need to be on, on your toes on a whole different level. Right. Old. Long work days. Oh yeah. Yeah, really. Um, uh, and, and also it's, it's, it's a hard process because you always need to develop, uh, restaurants. Restaurants is always what drives the development in the food in my scene. 
because mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's usually a lot of creativeness going around uh, and a lot of chefs that can work together and be creative in a group and over time that gives often very good results mm-hmm. uh, but it's hard you know you need to be on your toes so everything you need to have an updated menu all the time and 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 yeah people you get a lot of regulars they expect new things of you all the time so it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, very uh, very challenging and very hard to be uh, on a type of restaurant like that but uh, when but when you're successful and 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 you you can see that the hard works actually goes into goes into something and it means something for the people who comes and they spend money and come choose to come back and all that that that's that's the award for that right so yeah, yeah great time so i i've been restaurants for 14 years i think before i started cycling the cycling industry <laughs> so that's what i know how to do yeah, yeah. well it's a, it's a i i consider it an art i don't yeah i mean a lot of people think, think of it as a skill i think of it as an art yeah. because a true chef they're creating it's like you said they're creating things yeah definitely and uh they have they have vision and what they come up with you know it's always amazing. Yeah, I had I had the fortune of visiting that restaurant yeah. with you in Stockholm. Yeah. I was just blown away. I mean, I'm I love like American style food or Mexican style food, and I remember they served us those pulled pork sandwiches, yeah. and they were just yeah, so so amazing, it's just incredible. Buns. Yeah, no, it's a, it was a yeah, it's a great restaurant, and it's still around and doing very well today. So yeah, I'm glad to be in part of that so um i know you said you're going to do a sort of cafe or something like that yeah. you ever want to get fully back into the restaurant business well i, I haven't really i know how much work it is mm-hmm. and with two kids and wife at home i'm not sure if that's the right thing to do now uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest maybe i should have done that 10 years ago um, yeah. but also, I mean, the kids are also getting, getting older now. So, well, they're not super old, but I mean, um, just to get more independent, they do, time. they do. And, um, it's going to be interesting to see what we can do. I definitely wanted to be, if I ever get to open a place here in Oslo, I definitely wanted to be more than just a cafe because mm-hmm. the food for me will always be the, the most important thing. Of course, together with great food, there comes great drinks and there comes good coffee. And all. so, I mean, the whole package is important. But for me, as a as a chef, the food will be the most important thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not I'm not sure if it's going to be called a cafe. I think I'm going to put a little bit wider uh, stamp on it than that. Uh, okay. And, and see what's possible because I definitely want to to cook some good food in there as well. That's the well, we look forward to seeing how that turns yeah, out. Yeah, so do I, and, and hopefully, I have some more answers within within a few weeks. That's that's the possibility, and and it's going to be super interesting to see um, what it can be like. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, really. All right. Well, keep us keep us posted, and um, where can people find you? Um, easily most on on Instagram on my account Henrik Ore. Um, or I have a small shitty website, 
uh, and then now I'm I'm like independent in Oslo. So if there's anyone who wants to have uh, some good event stuff doing, uh, or else I'm available at the moment. So hook me up. And you will travel once once we can travel. Oh, definitely, again. definitely. I'm I'm keen on getting out there again. That's also what this job has given me a lot of opportunities to to go to to fun places and cook events and and uh, and, and and just be in the cycling community and environment and and just can show up for a couple of days and, and do a dinner or two it's 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 something i really really would like to continue doing and and admire the people i work with doing that so yeah once we are back traveling hopefully just get in get in um, contact and we'll find some stuff sounds good yeah all right henry yeah. thanks a bunch thanks ken thanks for having all me. right